Hey, this is Bobby Hill, and you're listening to Radio 8 Ball with Andros Jones. I said good day, Sheriff. Radio 8 Ball, give us a shake. We're in the studio, tempting fate. Put a question to the song, let's randomly select it without of our friend, Synchronicity. Welcome to the Radio 8-Ball Show. Welcome back to Radio 8-Ball, the show where we answer questions by picking songs at random. And interpreting those randomly chosen songs as the answers to the questions like picking musical tarot cards. I'm your host, Andras Jones, here at the Monkey House in Berkeley, California, with our musical guest, Ira Marlowe. Hello. And Ira's songs are providing the oracle fodder for our musical divinations. And now we are joined on the line by one of my oldest friends and someone who has also done some work with Ira Marlowe. Welcome to Radio 8 Ball, Amos Glick. So happy to be here, Andras. Thanks for inviting me, and hello, Ira. Big Mo, good to hear you. Now, uh, now, although you are, we have you on the line from Los Angeles, California, you have a deep connection to the Bay Area. We, now, first oh, yeah. of all, I should say that you and I went to high school together on the East Coast at the Cambridge School Correct. of Weston, uh, Cambridge School of Weston, and that's how we met. And then we both pretty much hightailed it out of the Northeast and headed to the West Coast. I to Los Angeles, you to San Francisco, where you joined the San Francisco Mime Troupe and uh, cut a you know quite a uh, a wide creative path through this uh, through the city in for a couple decades basically right i'm gonna own i'm gonna own that wide it's a good description i'll take it <laughs> so uh so when did you when did you encounter ira marlowe was that through me uh, oh yeah well you. here's the cool thing uh it was a really good encounter uh it was at ira's old place right off of Church Street, which I want to say is either 14th or 15th, right between Church and Dolores there. Mm-hmm. 15th. Um, 15th. And um, you invited me, Andras, over to a friend's house who we were going to play test oh, the game. game about the rock industry. Yeah, Mr. Called, Big. I think it's called Mr. Big, yeah, which <laughs> was a, an incredible experience in and of itself. Really fun, a great way to meet people, and a great way to meet Ira, Um who is, you know, an iconoclast of, uh, of the creative world. He can do anything, it seems. He can, you know, he's an artist. He, I mean, a, I mean, a, you know, like a pictorial artist. He's, he makes images. He makes moving images. He makes music. It's, and that began uh, a slow-to-start friendship, but then soon fast-moving, especially when we started to work together on a few projects. What, what year was it, Ira, when I directed your one-man show? I think that was 2004. We had been hanging out before that, but that oh, yeah. for sure cemented our friendship. I mean, and I mean, Ira and I talk on the phone probably more often than I talk to you, Andres, these days. I'm sorry. Just because we had <laughs> the more recent experiences. No, no, no. We, we talk enough, but um, yeah, so um, that's how I met him. 
It was through you, for sure. Well, you know what? I want to go back because I really, since we, we've both experienced this game, and it's, sorry, Ira, it's 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 likely that many people in the future will not have the opportunity to experience the game, Mr. Big. <laughs> Certainly not the way we did. Uh, and I and it was, I think it's it really was one of my favorite. I mean, in the same way, actually, I think of it the same way that Radio 8 Ball is. Radio 8 Ball is this project that I sort of did as this fun little obsession while I was pursuing my music career and my film career. And then this is what happens. You start to tinker and you tinker and you tinker. And then all of a sudden you find yourself that the thing that you were playing with as your little side project becomes this overwhelming thing that may take up the rest of your life or at least several years of your life. And Mr. Big, this game feels like exactly like that. Like only an artist, a great songwriter and a great fan of music who had the experience of being in it could have created this game but could you tell us i i don't yeah i'm sure you have the elevator speech for what mr big is and then uh, then maybe amos and i can tell you why we loved it so much mr big captures all of the horror of the music business with none of the glamour uh you start off you start off on the first level trying to put a band together and there there are cards for various musicians and the musicians which was always a legal thorny question are famous musicians and each musician has strengths and weaknesses talent and, and image points talent and image points and then they can have a drug habit they can have a huge ego they can have a sex addiction and so you put your band together and it's worth a certain number of points based on your talent and image but you also have liabilities because of the problems with your members. And, the, for instance, if you have, like, two or more egos, you can land on a space that says band blowout, <laughs> you know, and you have to fire one of them, things like that. But you eventually, you're, you're... So then you get to the next level, and you're playing clubs, and you have to stay at hotels and pay your expenses and all kinds of terrible tragedies. And then you work your way up to the next level, and you've got various record people interested in you, these various different A&R men who all want things. They'll say, like, you know, no sex addicts, or, you know, they'll talk about, you must have two guitar players. And the question, which is what musicians have to deal with, is do you change your band to try to cater to what the cards you have in your hand, what these A&R guys are looking for, or do you say screw them and get your band exactly the way you like it and hope you find the right A&R guy? And in the end, almost nothing ever works. Yeah, no... There, there are no winners in the game, Mr. Big. <laughs> but you win just for playing, and that, that's what I want to talk about. You like, can I, win. You can win. People have won, and they get their record deal that nobody wants anymore. Right. Yeah, well, that's, a, that's what I mean. Is it's like the record business in that even when you win, you don't, re- like you, you don't really win. You might win at the game, but you don't win at what you started out to do. Right. And that's the thing that I, I really... There's, there's a couple things that I really loved about the game. One is just the in, the incredible amount of humor that is baked into it. So if you knew the musicians, like certain musicians, like the one I always remember was I always wanted to get the Prince card because it was like, uh, that was... Pretty much was like the ace. It was the ace. <laughs> that and you were saying Mozart was like... But his image wasn't that great. Oh, okay. So Mozart was not a 10-10. No, he was, he, he was, he was a 10... 10 talent, 7 or something. But a 7 image. But I felt like Prince was the highest of both. I think he was, I think he was 10-9 or 9-9 or something. Yeah, he had the most I think talent he was even and nine, image. 9-10 maybe. Yeah. 
and and then you'd have these we'd have these wonderful arguments about wait a second that's why you know why more image why Tom who was I forget who you was always, like you uh, always someone... insisted that, that McCartney should be rated higher than Lennon on talent because he played all those instruments oh yes so I still would argue that <clears throat> yeah but see this is this is again this is the kind of fun so there's this whole fun nerd element to the conversations that come out of it that I don't necessarily think you necessarily had to be a musician to appreciate, but I do feel like, and this is probably why I invited Amos to come play, is that when we organized these games, when we would play it, that it was like this psych, like this therapy session for artists and for musicians who were in this feudal game and trying to succeed at it, and that the oh, that rather than a game that was like this is how you become successful or isn't it great to make it big which i feel like is where most mythology around being a musician comes out this is as you are all going to fail this game is set up against you this is not it's not about making it the majority of you aren't and even if you do you're going to have to compromise yourself so much to do so that really what's the point if you actually cared about doing it and while that would sound like it's a very depressing thing it actually brought incredible joy and humor and we would just be laughing and really probably doing great uh, emotional healing work around it being with other musicians other people who were all sort of like yeah this sucks yeah. but we're in it together exactly. well, we're all in it together so uh, yeah, I, for, yeah um, almost for, no. me, for me it wasn't you know I wasn't pursuing music in a, in a hardcore way like either of you were I mean I was always in bands and stuff and always gigging but you know, acting was the thing that I was pursuing. And there, there are the parallels that are naturally there from both worlds. But, but yeah, for me, it was more the, if you're a fan of music or you're pursuing it in any way, um, it just provided all that humor, like you said. And it was a great, it's one of the better social lubricants I've ever encountered of just like you get a bunch of strangers together and within half an hour, you're rolling on the floor you're yelling at each other about how, what you know, if you agree or disagree with a certain aspect of the card. Uh, all those fun discussions, like you were saying, come out of it. And just the ridiculousness of having a band that has Jimi Hendrix, Mozart, and Pete Townsend in it. I mean, or whatever, Pope whatever John the combination Paul II. was. It's just ridiculous, but so fun. And it's kind of like it's a, it's a chance for for musicians and music fans to have sort of, you know, stratomatic baseball moment with, with their passion. And I do also, it's funny, I, I wonder if, I feel like this game had to exist in the time in which it, ex in which it did because it's right at the end of a time when there was sort of a canon that everyone, it's, everyone knew kind of this was coming out of the same right. speakers before as, the long tail and everything's so diverse yeah so now it would be so hard to get a to have everyone in the room know well the marketing people would say that that's why you have the different sets of cards you sell right so yeah, you know. <laughs> so for you ira how long did you work on the game i worked i first started working on the game in Los Angeles in 1981, and I would basically bring it out at Christmas and just fool around with it. I wanted it to be the one creative thing I did that I had no aspirations for at all. That's what Radio 8 Ball started out yeah. for me, yes. You know, and, uh, and it was frankly only around the time 
sometime around the time I met you that it, it started, I started being more serious about it, and I actually looked into getting it manufactured, and I met this, had this hilarious story with this Italian guy who owned this company called The Box Factory that was going to manufacture it for me, and then I seriously was concerned that he might be a mafiosi, mm-hmm. mafioso. Um, it's, a, it's a really weird, funny story what made me think that, but... You know, and eventually he took my thousand dollars. Not a whole lot happened. You don't have to be in the mafia to do something like that, right? Um, <clears throat> and I don't. I think I just sort of ran out of gas as far as no. You know, I didn't have the money. Maybe you know, maybe I should get back to it now. I might have a little bit of money to invest in it, but uh, but it's it's such a different world now. It's it's irrelevant. The idea of getting a record deal as the as the grand prize just is laughable now. Yeah, though it's a it's a, it really is a time capsule of of. But it was so. It was, it was a great time for me. I loved. I loved those. I loved that I got to spend those hours playing that game with the creator of it. And I'd totally forgotten that that was how you and Amos met. Can you tell us about? So you directed a one-man show for Ira, and didn't mm-hmm. Ira also produce a record for you? Exactly. Oh, right. well, it's even more than that. We we you know we've tangled uh, on a few levels. Um, yeah. So I. I, he must have asked me, Ira, tell me if I'm correct. If I, if, or maybe you just said, would you like to take a look at it? I can't remember, but I, you know, I was beginning to flex more. I was uh, teaching at the Mind Troupe um, and elsewhere, and and maybe was beginning to have desires towards directing, and that seemed like a good thing to do, and we did it, and we uh, we had a great little run, I think. Um, it was a blast, and. Um, after we did the previews at the Mind Troop and at Roger Lynn's house. Oh, I'd forgotten about the one at Roger's, Roger's house. That's true. Yeah. And then we did, had a run at the off-market theater for a while. We got, yeah. you know, I, maybe because of, I don't know, Ira has a little bit of a name, uh, but I guess it was, we mostly got, we got um, theater critics to come see it, maybe because of my relationship with the Mind Troop, or maybe just they were interested in the, in the concept. I don't know. We got a bunch of people to come out and look at it. And what? I don't know what we did. I, I, I personally didn't pursue it after that, and I guess you didn't either. Well, I didn't. I You advised me not to read the reviews until after the production right. run, you know, and I didn't take your advice. And the show got one absolutely glowing review and a bunch of other reviews that were mixed. They had a lot of positive things to say, but I just took them really badly. You yeah, know? I did. And, and, and basically just thought, oh, my God, i got to just rework this thing from the ground up or throw away this piece of shit. And... um and it was just, it was scuttled, you know, and, uh, and the truth is a lot of it today, it had these three characters. I mean, there was a, a character called Avery Deep Guy, sort of a, a spoof on, on Deepak Chopra, where I literally had brown shoe polish on my face. I don't think that would fly today. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, just, I'm just going to cut that part out. We're just going to, it's like he never said that. No. <laughs> uh, but then, uh, before I did, you know, before I, I got my, started making real money and was able to produce my CD, before I left the Bay Area to go to Vegas and work as a clown, um, I was transitioning out of acting at the Mind Troop and started doing some uh, l- lyrics for songs and was kind of being mentored by a wonderful guy who might have loved your game, Bruce Barthol, who um, was the original bass player for Country Joe and the Fish and then became the principal composer, lyricist at the Mind Troop for many, many years. And so he was fading out, kind of retiring, and I was fading out of acting at the troupe and trying trying on the hat of lyricist. And I, I found myself as 
every uh, I think Bruce couldn't do it. He couldn't mentor me that year. He had another project last minute. So I was the head lyricist on this one show that I was having trouble getting my head around. And I, actually, I was acting in that one. And I I hired uh, Ira to come in and, and do some songs, do some lyrics. And I think you ended up just doing one, or that was the one that was kept. But then a bunch of years later, the Mind Troop remembered that, and they started, met, like, uh, Ira's been like lyricist for them three out of the four or four out of the last five years or something like that. Composer as well, thank you. That's right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he basically was the Bruce Barthol. Well, that's a perfect, um, that's, and, uh, that's a perfect connection. Yeah, yeah no, I'm a, it totally makes sense to me. You, know, you pretty much and, got and, me that gig. You, you and Tanya Schaefer were sort of my ins there. Yeah. And somewhere in the middle, at 2000. <laughs> nine or ten I started telling Ira that I or asking him how much it would cost me to come come up there and start recording and I brought him a bunch of songs and he was really a producer he, he would do these minimal but perfect little changes to chord progression sometimes just a passing note or chord or or just hey how about you just repeat this three or four times or how about you just um take out this word or just repeat these two words. You don't need that whole thing for the court. You know, really simple, but like stunningly beautiful ideas uh, when he had, you know, he had a great impact. Except for one song. <laughs> he had a significant, no, 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 no. Everything was simple and beautiful. You, you had a more of a, a, an invasive and excellent impact on Sweet Confused, which became, which was sort of a folky bluegrass thing that turned into a kind of a Almost a folk tune, reggae yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, and that was all you. And you gave me co-credit. La-di-da. It was cool. It's a great record. Yeah. I just listened to it recently and was delighted by the songs and actually pleased with the production, I have to say. Excellent. Well, Ponder Music, is that what it's called? I don't even know the name of my own website. I think it's called www.pondermusic.com is where the, the album is. So basically, do you have a question? That's what, what I want to well, know. Well, <laughs> no, but first of all, let's just be, let's, uh, let's get to the important part. If You're it weren't for Amos, Ira wouldn't have this gig with the Mime Troupe. And if it weren't for Ira, Amos wouldn't have that record. And if it weren't for me, none of that would have happened. That's true. So just, you know, that is true. I, you like, are I'll take, I'll take my that. my 3% credit. Yeah. I'm I'll I love by, it. by patting myself on the back. But <laughs> I, you know what? But in a way, that is, uh, I, I'm joking, but I'm also, that is part of the inspiration for kind of what I right. try and do with Radio 8 Balls. You put a couple, it's like the usual suspects. You put a couple people in the room, you have, you create an experience that allows some magic to come through, and then you see what happens. It's always a really, it's, it's like one of the, the fun things about social media is that when I see an artist who's been... Like a, someone who's people who have who have met on the show, and then a year, year later, two years later, someone's liking someone's post, and I'm like, oh, yeah, they're still, they're still fans of that artist that they were on that show with. Yeah, that's great. And be, you know, and I, I don't know. I guess I take a little bit of, uh, take a little bit of ego pleasure in that in this way that it's like, it's like the one. Those are the kind of things that you take credit for in your own mind. But they're not like there's no like you were saying, it's like, the, you know, like the game is the thing that you have no aspirations mm -hmm. around. Like I have no aspirations around, you know, claiming some percent of your paycheck for your mime troop gig. But when I hear that story, 
yeah, makes my heart explode yeah. and what with you're doing pride. is clearly working you know? <laughs> like that that i didn't i was totally unaware of that yeah. and it makes me really but, but really none happy. of it would have happened had i not mailed you that cassette it's true <laughs> if you hadn't mailed me that cassette that's true and a lot of things when I that 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 was a real I don't know for me a real because uh, I, th I think your cassette had, and, and that wouldn't have happened had you not like had your PO box yes. on the cassette yes which people yeah. tell you not to do any they say not to put addresses or email or phone numbers because they change that's true so yes but now let's let's we've we've had our nice reminiscence of good times now <laughs> Amos what is your question for the pop oracle oh boy well it's it's a bit heavy it's a bit cosmic. Uh, you know, get it. I'm a middle-aged guy now, and I, actually I've had many conversations with both of you about issues that touch on this, but I find myself thinking about my family and the transitions that, you know, my parents are going through and what that means for how I relate to them and how I relate to my sister, who's special needs. Um, and I am one of these guys who never married, never had kids. And my question is, can I swear? Yeah. Michelle, yeah. have I royally fucked myself by kind of taking myself out of the family market? Am I going to regret on my deathbed not having figured out a way to lock horns and 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 have children? Well, maybe it's, you should start by uh, doing some. Uh, you don't get babies by locking horns. Just so you know, that would have that would definitely. <laughs> That's a, a term that my old friend Ian Ives came up with, and I loved it. It's good. Like, it's good. And he was get, when he was getting married, he's like, "Yep, we decided to lock horns." And I know that usually it's two rams <laughs> that are locking horns, but I, I for some reason I like I like the uh, turn of phrase. Oh, I like it. Yes. Well, uh, so the question is, did you uh, did you miss it? Did you miss out by uh, by not uh, having a fan, having a, a traditional family? <clears throat> yeah, and also I guess placing my priority on that my priority has been elsewhere you know yep i always figured the relationship and the kids will follow was my my concept it will come you know mm -hmm. and um it never did yet but yeah so that's that's the basic idea okay well now to engage the pop oracle on your behalf i'm going to pick a card any card Song number one, which is The Wilderness Years. Oh, that's perfect. Out of the wild. Out on the road You've seen them Bend beneath their load And in their dark They see 
Raise up your glass Those were the wilderness years Those were the wilderness years That led you home Drink to the past Thank her for getting you here For all the days you gave away She paid you dear There was a younger man He spoke of many things He heard a call that drove him on Those endless days That mirrored maze Where every door you tried Was wrong Raise up your glass Those were the wilderness years Those were the wilderness years That led you home Drink to the past Thank her for getting you here For all the days you gave away She paid you dear Paid you in trouble Paid you in tears Paid you in love with a box on the ears Paid you in faith or whatever you found While you screamed at the sky with your back to the ground Raise up your glass Those were the wilderness years Those were the wilderness years That led you home Drink to the past Thank you for getting here For all the days you gave away She paid you dear She paid you dear years Those were the wilderness years Those were the wilderness years And that was Ira Marlowe with The Wilderness Years as the answer to Amos's question, did he blow it by pursuing other things and not pursuing the family way? To paraphrase his question. So, Ira, you want to tell us a little bit about the background of that song? That 
is one of the few songs I've ever written from a title. A lot of songwriters start with a title. I do it very rarely. I usually find it leads me to be very sort of cliche and and left-brained in my approach to the lyrics. <clears throat> I'm much better at arriving at a title than starting off with one. But I saw something <clears throat> in a magazine. I think it was a, about someone and said, and he spent his wilderness years, blah, blah, blah. And I just thought, that's a great, great term. And uh, I remember writing that song. I remember actually sitting in bed one morning, picking up my guitar, and uh, I sort of had the idea, but I hadn't gotten anywhere. Then one morning, I, the whole thing kind of came out of me. And uh, it made me made me weep. It, it Basically, it just felt like this notion that the worst is behind you, that this has all been worth something, you know, that there's a reason for whatever you've gone through, and it's going to get better, and it's going to get easier. Was there a particular, do you remember what it was in it? Because I know that process, I definitely know that experience where you're writing something, and it just cracks something open inside of you. Mm -hmm. you like, like, you're both there, the writer, but you're also there, like, having this thing happen to you, right, or right. come out of you at the same <clears> time. <throat> what was, do you remember what the line was, or was there some particularly potent part of it that you realized you got yourself in there and you're like, oh, wow, that just opened me up? Um, well, I think the notion, you know, of thanking the past for getting you to where you are, you know, yeah, and just, you know, you know, it says drink to the past, thank her. What's also, I will say about that song is that, uh, <clears throat> I had been we do live recordings at the Monkey House. I've been working with this band called Young Ireland, this father and son trio, actually, and doing a lot of Irish-flavored music. Two you know. sons, one father? One father, one son, and then a side man. Got it. <clears throat> and, um, and they did a lot of, some original stuff, but a lot of sort of historical Irish stuff. And uh, you know what it is? It just sort of got in my bones, the whole feel of it. Mm -hmm. And that song, <clears throat> you know, I'm home, it's not a cliche to have, you know, drink, you know, raise your glass right. and all that, and an Irish something. But, um, but yeah, but it's, you know, just this notion that to be grateful for the past, you know, because that's put you where you're standing now. And in some ways you are unquestionably, you know, stronger for it and better for it. Yeah. You know, and, um, you know, for all the days, she, you know, you gave away, she paid you dear. You know, you got, you know, even though you think this time is lost, it's not lost. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> and I still call them the wilderness years. So that was a struggle, you know, and you're finally, you know. I find home is a big theme in a lot of my songs. This notion of, you know, uh, we moved a lot as kids and stuff. And, I, you know, it's still something I'm sort of striving for. You know? mm -hmm. Well, Amos, what did you think about that as the answer to your question? Oh, I mean, it really, it really hit the, the nail right on the head, I think. I mean, it's almost as if he heard me ask the question and then wrote the song, which, of course, is what your show is all about, uh, what makes it so wonderful. Um, one of the most striking things, I mean, we'll talk about the, the sentiments and words, and, but, you know, Ira and I have always had this discussion about our different styles, like that I'm kind of this hippie throwback kind of jam band guy, and he's a tunesmith. And um, this is not a jam band song, but it's not a song. It, it is a song that you might hear a jam band play. There's something about the loping, galloping quality of it. Um, and the structure of it. So I think we're we're almost meeting 
<laughs> tap way with musical styles there, which really speaks to me at, at, at not only in general, but coming from him, just knowing that, you know, that's not necessarily his milieu. Um, and then, so I was in from the beginning, just in the sound of the song, um, which is important. And, uh, but yeah, I think that all too often when we put ourselves down, we, uh, it, it's so easy to not take, talk, take stock and, and give yourself credit for what you have done. Of course, that's, that's what, you know, a lot of artists put themselves down. Um, like Ira was talking about with the reviews and stuff, he heard the negative parts of the reviews and then beat himself up. I look around at people who are my age and have kids, and I, uh, instead of, you know, I do say how wonderful that is, but instead of looking back at my life and going, well, you know, they've got kids, but I've got this, I go, ah, crap, man. Who's going to take care of me? Um, and I've got a lot more in my life to, to ponder, uh, no pun intended, um, than just that one aspect of where I am. And I, I, I have put so much of heart into my friendships and into my work, uh, into my life path, that how, how, how dare I <laughs> pin everything on just the one concept of, of having a family. It's not fair to the friendships I've made and to the things that I've accomplished. Um, and so I'm, I'm thankful to be reminded of that and to, and to pay homage to the wilderness years, I guess. Well, I happen to know you for many years almost, and I know that one of the, uh, the big experiences that shaped your life was your relationship with a camp that you went to when you were younger called Farm and Wilderness. Correct. So, so this idea of the wilderness years, it, although it has a meaning for Ira that he got from this art, what the article he was thinking about, like an artist living and having their wilderness years, years, for you, your wilderness years were your years at this camp, Farm and Wilderness, which was maybe you can tell uh, listeners why, like the, the kind of, place it was and why it had such a big in- impact on you oh my gosh it's 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 an incredible environment first of all i mean in the middle of the plymouth valley in, in vermont just this gorgeous pristine setting with a gorgeous lake uh somewhat remote but even the remoteness has been um compounded by the fact that you're living in fairly primitive conditions open air cabins no electricity in the cabins the ethos of the camp comes out of the Quaker tradition, even though it's not officially a Quaker camp. Simplicity and consensus and stuff like that. And uh, there's a real affection uh, of men towards boys in the most healthy, of course, way. Uh, and, and boys towards each other and a respect coming from little guys towards women. I mean, you're t- you're, it's a very progressive place, but so you're taught all this stuff. In my opinion, you were taught it in a very nurturing, non-oppressive way, uh, and that that place makes good people. So I was just, you know, I was just thinking about how, sort of along like lines of what you said of like where you've invested the energy that would be invested in family, and how you've expressed that, um, and yeah. how you know family has shown up in your life in ways that maybe are not the most obvious, but they're still there. Uh, I mean, yeah. Ira, Ira was talking about how, for him, the the concept of home is a big issue that's shown up in his music. Yeah, and we should yeah. also say that 
all three of us are in the same boat that you're talking about. Like the, all three of us have given our lives to our creativity, whether that's at the expense of family of a person of their own family or not. That's that's where we're, we stand. We we all stand with a, a a big collection of things that we've created that can't talk back to us. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I think, yeah. the mo- I think that the, the thing that if I were to take a teaching from the song is that perhaps my question is not the right question for me to ask. Um, you know, I've, I'm sort of framing it in a way that is sort of an begs a negative outcome. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, I'm appreciating uh, this song for how I'm looking at my life now and how I'm looking at it going forward and, and maybe reframing the kinds of questions I ask about myself. That's a great answer. Um, yeah. So thank you, Ira. You're welcome. Good stuff. Yeah, that was, Always that was a stuff. pretty good fit. Well, Amos, do you have anything, any projects coming up before we let you go? Things you want to let folks know about? Things you're working on? Films? Uh, well, uh, I'm working as a producer on a movie called Zero Fucks. Zero um, fucks, people. That's <laughs> zero yeah, fucks. A, it's it's a post-apocalyptic satire about <laughs> guys trapped in a bunker with a human-sized cat named Donald. <laughs> halfway through the halfway through who talks halfway through the movie, Ivanka Pump shows up. <laughs> it's a Trumpian uh, satire about our reality. So I think people would get a kick out of it in your audience. Um, it's a full-length feature. Yes, it is. Great. And very interestingly shot. They they had two cameras for coverage, and they shot everything in five days. Wow! Unbelievable. I was I was there for the shooting of it, helping out in the art department. Um, basically, I'm just volunteering. So the film the film is shot. It's shot. This is all for post production, um, and then also to pay lawyers and you know promotion, whatever you need, yeah, and uh, festival entry fees, and to get it, you know subtitled and translated for foreign festivals everything costs so much money and so please help these people buy some fucks they can they have, <laughs> they have zero fucks and in a movie in the movies these days you need at least two or three so and they're they're not cheap those fucks so uh, other, yeah. otherwise i mean uh people can check out what i'm doing at uh almostflick.com and if they want to hear any of the songs that i and i worked on they can go to uh pondermusic.com Thanks for listening to Radio 8 Ball. We hope today's musical divination brings and brought the sync to you wherever you are. For more info about our show, visit Radio8Ball.com, where you'll find the Radio 8 blog, our Patreon campaign, and where you can download our Radio 8 Ball app that allows you to engage the pop oracle directly in the form of every song ever performed in the history of Radio 8 Ball. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you give us good reviews and ratings, that really helps get the word out. Until next time, I'm your host, Andras Jones, wishing you lots of spine-tingling synchronicities, connections with the natural world, and all the inspiration you can handle. It's the Radio Break up, rack. Break up, rack. We're 
get sick from the TV snacks. Before too long, we'll all be fat. Yeah, I'm talking about you. Flim flam, better find a new scam. Even though that's not who I am, I'd like to think that I'm better than that. But am I better than you? Trying so hard, I'm trying so hard to figure it out. It's not like anybody really understands what it's all about. A football and halftime stalls, fifty million for a steroid withdrawal. So hard, I tried so hard to figure it out. It's not like anybody really understands what it's all about. And I'm sorry if this song makes you